Well, good morning. Great to see you all here. And um, let me just get this ready. Here we go. My name is Dan Harvey. I think I know most of you. I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you, and I've met some of you. Thanks for being here with us this weekend. Um, it's always interesting when you come to a conference because you have a limited amount of time with what you want to deal with. I came here with two things I wanted to talk about, and somewhere in the uh, yesterday evening, I, I cut one of them right off the plate because we'll never get through it and to it. Um, so I'm going to follow in Clive's steps. I'm going to start today and finish tomorrow. I might finish tomorrow. Um, I, I want to speak with you and what, I, what I've been thinking about, maybe by virtue a little bit of the ongoing things in the world in which we live, um, a lot of people feel very alone in the world. And sometimes if, if you did not know God, if you did not know you belonged to God, if you did not know God had a personal individual care for you, and that he had brought you into a family, into a body, where you would find support, you would have a lot to be concerned about in the world. And so what I really want to speak to you about is the whole idea of community. The verses I'm going to reference, the points I will make, will be showing up on these screens. And so by the time I'm done, you'll be cross-eyed if you're going to try to look at me the whole time. Hopefully not. Um, I'm going to start off by talking about things in general sense, uh, about community and, and the, under support, the undergirding support, where that idea comes from, why it is important. And then we're going to get into specifics, maybe in three broad areas. My community, my fellowship in the body of Christ. Because I think it's an area we have not focused on. We're really good in the middle one. My fellowship, my membership, because this is what it is. You're a member of a local church. Fellowship is to what you're brought into. Your membership is to what you commit to. You decided to become a member of a local church. And then your fellowship, your community in a smaller group of friends, smaller groups, or maybe just one or two. And those are the, the levels through which we will go through this. This is more thematic, so we're not just going to be able to take one passage and go through this. But we are going to begin with some general things and get more specific as we go. If you want to think in the broad terms of the general portion of this, we're going to look at the necessity, the nature, maybe the nuances of Christian community. If you want to turn in your Bible, you can. I'm going to begin reading, and the verses will be up here for you, because the very first verse I want to start with gives us the whole desire of God. And it is this verse in Genesis chapter 3 that simply tells us what God was doing. When God makes man and he puts Adam in the garden, it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool or in the wind of the day. God was looking to dwell with Adam. God wanted to be close to Adam. God wanted to commune with Adam. Remember who God is. All our ideas of community, of closeness, of relationship come from God himself. And we'll get more into that. You come to later in the, in the, New, in the Old Testament and you get this promise that is given and it's it's repeated multiple times we could take time to go through all the verses but this is the idea god says my dwelling place shall be with them and i will be their god they shall be my people ezekiel 37 and 27 so this is god's idea my dwelling place 
Does God need a dwelling place? Does that God would want to dwell with you? Does that not make your mind spin? The God of the universe, the omnipotent, omniscient God wants to dwell with you that you might be his people. We come to the New Testament and Paul pulls this out in 2 Corinthians 6 and he says, we are the temple of the living God and he says, I will make, and he references this verse, he says, for God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And we see this happen and that's what we are enjoying even today in our Christian experience. We go back and we will never forget the greatest miracle. And this is to me the greatest of marvels. The incarnation. John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled, pitched his tent, dwelt among us. So God came down. But we'll talk about this in some more detail. Let me just go through these initial verses with you so you understand where I'm going and the idea I want to communicate to you in my two times up here this weekend. Acts 2, we see this lived out. All who believed were together. And that's just not that he showed up to meeting. That wasn't they checked the agenda on the outside of wherever because they didn't. They met in different houses. They came to the temple courts to hear the apostles give the teaching. But they were together. Do you feel together? Are, are you an open book? Are, are, are you able to, to, to get into another believer's face, into their life? And, and look them in the eyes and, and unburden yourself with them? Are, are, are you, is there things that you just want to keep a distance about? They were together. Our future hope, Revelation, we go from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, the new Jerusalem, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the pinnacle. This is where we are going. But I want you to remember, and as I begin to, to talk about, community and relationship begins with God and the Trinity. Before ever the worlds were created, before ever you or I existed, the perfect community existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Everything that could ever have been needed or wanted was there, resident in that relationship. Everything we know about right relationships comes from the Trinity. Everything we want to learn about fatherhood comes from God. Everything we want to learn about all of our other relationships come from what we learn about God. It is first seen there, and then God creates man. And Adam comes into the scene. And we take a quick run through history, and we see how God becomes closer and closer. And the idea is this, that God is pursuing us. And Dan keeps referencing, too, that there's not a gospel meeting, but Dan, what is not a gospel meeting, right? It's all gospel. Our Christian life, this is gospel truth. Because if it doesn't produce right relationships, what's, what's it worth? If our gospel can't fix brokenness, why preach it? It is far more about who we are and what we are becoming than where we will be in heaven. That's the truth of the gospel. And so this is very much gospel. But you see this in, right in Genesis 3, where God comes close to Adam. And he wants that closest with Adam. And in his gracious, kind, tender way, he says, Adam, where are you? Because Adam has now broken that. And he has moved away from dwelling with God. We see it in the very next chapter. 
God looks at Cain and God loves Cain. And before ever Cain takes a fateful decision to kill his brother and to go out from the presence of God, God stops him and says, Cain, you don't look well. What's wrong? Your countenance has fallen. And God in his love comes near. He's pursuing Cain because he wants Cain to dwell with him. And God is pursuing. And we go through the rest of Genesis and God pursues an Abraham and an Isaac and a Jacob and a Joseph. And God comes closer and we come into Exodus and God hears his people. And he brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he goes before them. They can see a physical representation as he goes before them. And God comes closer as he now takes Moses and he brings Moses up into the, the pinnacle of that mountain. Forty days Moses is there and his face is shining as Moses is experiencing the presence of God. And then it comes closer and Moses comes down and he can't be too far from the people so he takes his own tent likely, the tent of meeting. And he places this, you know, about 2,000 cubits or so, he places it outside the camp. And Moses goes out to God, and he's getting closer and closer. And then the tabernacle comes in amongst the people, and God comes closer. And then there's a temple. And then we come to John 1, 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and God comes closer. God wants to dwell with us. He's a God of community. And we are created in his image. But we see this closeness, and it doesn't even stop there, because though we take him and crucify him, Jesus Christ raises from the dead, goes back to heaven, and he sends his spirit. And the spirit of God now comes closer than anyone ever could have imagined, and he dwells in us. A God who seemed so distant, but has pursued us every step of the way, wants intimacy, wants closeness, wants relationship, wants community, and he comes after us. This is your God. This is my God. A God that wants us. And comes close to follow us. And so what do we learn about him? That God is relational. He's a God of community. We are not lone islands at all. And he pursues us for fellowship. He wants us to come close because he wants to dwell with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to be a part of your life every moment. I love what Gaius Goff has said. Most of his prayers, I think he says, are less than 30 seconds. Just a constant in communion with God. Walking with God. Not a spiritual high note that says I have pinnacle experiences where I climb the mountain sometimes Moses-like. No. But this is a God who walks with me and I dwell with him. And yet we're going to learn today, and maybe not today, but into tomorrow, how that ought to affect how we view everyone else in the body of Christ, in the local church, and even in a smaller setting. So this makes us relational. This is exactly what God did. That image of a God, that God who pursues us now comes close. And that's why Genesis 1 says this, that we were made in his image. We were made after his likeness. We are created in God's image, and he is reflecting this into us. And so we are built for relationships, or we are created for community. We live in a world where we have more technological advances than ever. We have more means of communication than ever. We can be instantaneously in contact, and yet we have a lesser sense of community than we've ever experienced before. And even in Christian circles, we live with facades. We don't really, really want people to get in. Why is that? What are we fearful of? 
that's another whole subject in itself, and I think there are legitimate questions to be answered in that area. What is it we're afraid of? Our fears are sometimes great indicators to us of where we need to start digging. This is God's design in us, but God makes it our duty, and we've already learned it will be our destiny. Do you remember what God actually says? We are not to be alone. He says that of Adam. Not to be alone. God brings us into families naturally, and in spiritual new birth, he brings us into families. So that's why when Adam is brought into this world, God says it's not good that Adam be alone. Adam, you're not going to cut it really well. You need someone else. God, he, had, he had God. And see, God wants to dwell with us, but the, the community and the relationship that God even experiences in the Trinity, in which he now pulls us in and lets us have communion with him, he needs that or he wants that for us to be something experienced on this horizontal level as well. And so uh, for Adam, not good that you're alone, Adam. And then we come to spiritual birth. And what does God say? We're alone, we're dead, we're lost, we are separated. And what does he say? We're no longer, no longer foreigners, non-citizens. We now belong. We are now fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of God's household. This is how God brings us in. This is how God brings us closer. Doesn't leave us on the fringe. He brings us in. Why did the Lord Jesus choose disciples? Why not just one or two? Why not pick a Paul or a Peter and give them everything they need to know and send them out? No, he brings these. He appoints 12 so that they would be with him. Just with him. What does the Lord Jesus say in Matthew 11? Learn not of me. Learn from me. Follow me. Observe me. Be with me. Because as we are with him, we will learn more and more. How does the Lord send his disciples? Two by two. This is how he sent them out. He never sent them alone. He points other 70 and he sends these out two by two. How do the first believers, how do they behave? Do they say, this is wonderful, I'm saved, let's get home and get the dinner on? No. What it is, all who believed were together. They held everything in common. Every day they continued to gather together. This whole idea, this sense of community, of closeness, of intimacy, of relationship. How does Paul work? Paul, do you just go out and blaze trails yourself? No, the scriptures speak about this. And Luke says, Paul and his companions. You need companions. You need friends. You need intimacy in your life and relationship that goes beyond just a marriage relationship or a courting relationship. You need warmth in your relationships, even with your closest friends. And that should extend through your local church. And that needs to extend into the body of Christ. What causes Paul grief? What does he say? Only Luke is with me. Paul would have wanted all of you with him. He said, get John Mark, bring him, I'll take him too. He wants this sense, he wants to be with others. Only our Lord Jesus truly experienced. The only one who knew what real community was. The only one who lived in real relationship. The only one who knew the beauty and the blessing of unhindered openness. Went into a period of aloneness. And at the cross, the Lord Jesus cries 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, why? Why would the Lord Jesus have to cry that? The one from whom we learn everything about community and relationship. Why? He says, I did this. Why? So that I might take you to myself. I go by means of my going through the cross, through the grave, through resurrection, back to heaven. I go that I might come again and take you to be with me. I want you to be with me, my dwelling place with you. And so we are created for community. We are called to community. And the truth of it is, if you are not experiencing that, you will be in crisis in your life. You cannot live alone. You must have openness in your relationships. There must be not, you know, I like a term Stephen Vance talked about once with me. He called it psychological nudity. It's not a matter of just everything, you know. There's going to be layers in this or levels in this, and there's going to be concentric circles maybe of this. But there will be a closeness because you need support. You cannot dwell alone, and community is basic. It comes from the very heart of God, and I love what the old Puritan pastor, he said this, George Swinnock. Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy. Get alone. Dan's already alluded to that. Sometimes there's a private life, you know. You get alone. Satan watches for those that sail without a convoy. But now our design, what God has built into us, is now our duty. What he expects, what he plants into us at natural birth. He's now going to bring this in into spiritual birth. And he expects us to go after this. He expects us to honor, he expects us to honor this, to live the truth of this. And so God says to Adam, he, he talked about this on, on personal marital relationships, on friend-based relationships, on local church relationships, and the body of Christ relationships. But starting right here with Adam, he says, Adam, you're going to cleave, you're going to cling to your wife. There's going to be intimacy, there's going to be closeness, there's going to be community common unity, you're going to have it. Cain rejected his. We've already talked about Cain. And so when God asked him about his brother, Cain's simple response is, well, am I really accountable for him? Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, Cain. You are. You are your brother's keeper. You really are. Solomon, he pricks up this point and Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. If you are alone, if you have no one, maybe there's a fear in our hearts that if I really came clean, if there was really openness, there would be rejection. If there was really honesty, I just know the way they do things, and I don't think it's healthy. Maybe I will or won't argue with you on that point. But it's not good when we just stay alone. The Good Samaritan, he understood this. He sees this man in need, and he goes to him. He takes care of him, and he says, I'll come back again for him. This sense of duty, okay, this responsibility, it's in our design, but now God says it is our duty. So the Lord Jesus lives this. 
This man, the accusation against him, he welcomes, he receives sinners, he even eats with them. And, and the story of the prodigal father and the prodigal son, prodigal because at, he spares no expense, there's no cost too great. The father is more prodigal than the son is in Luke 15. And yet he gives everything and he runs after the son and he embraces the son. He has a duty to the son. It's his son. The son has come back. And Paul teaches this truth. We come to Philippians 2. And he says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is not just about you. You look out for others. You have a responsibility here. Peter emphasizes this. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, above all, above everything, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love will cover, it will hide. Calypto is the word. It will, it will keep out of view a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. Use hospitality to one another without grumbling. You have a duty to live this relationship, this community. John stresses the importance of this. John says, Beloved, if God so loved us in such a manner, to such a degree, we ought, it is our responsibility, it is our duty, we also ought to love one another. We need to engage with each other. We have a duty to forgive. This is where relationships need to be maintained. This is where community doesn't come apart. It doesn't fracture. It doesn't allow fissures. It doesn't say, I don't like you, and I can actually live without you. And yet there are believers that practice that. There are believers who are content with brokenness. We should never be content with brokenness. It just under, it, it rips the core, it rips the heart out of our gospel message. It seems, it just makes everything fake. It's a face, it's a facade. If we can't fix issues, forgive as we have been forgiven. It is our duty. We have a duty to welcome, to receive, to embrace to genuinely love other believers as we have been loved and welcomed and embraced and received. This is not just a narrow thing that we say, that's just for the people that I gather with. The people that I know and I love and I trust, well, I say I know and I love and I trust. I don't know them that really well. I'm not sure I trust them. And I do love them, although I don't show it very well. We have a duty to maintain relationships with forgiveness, we have a duty to create community by receiving others. We have a duty here to love and to live this community in the same way we have been loved. This is what John 15 says. My command is this, love each other as in the same way, in the same manner that I have loved you. This is God's wisdom. He has planted this, taken from the very heart of his own nature, if I can say it in these terms, his own experience, and God has placed this and designed community for us. He has given us this responsibility, and he, unlike anyone else, lived it. It is our duty. And he projects our hope forward, and he says, you will be my people, I will be your God, I will dwell among you, you will dwell with me, we will be together. This is where we're going. It's our design. 
it's our duty. It is our destiny. This is where God is bringing us. How do we live out the truth of community amongst us? What does the Lord Jesus really request? What does he pray for? What is the burden of his heart? John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. This is his desire. This is the same desire that ought to, to fill our hearts. And he gives us this, this sure destiny. And, and Paul comes back in 1 Thessalonians 4 and says, we will be together. And together we will be caught up to be together forever with the Lord. This is the, the resounding theme that runs all through Christianity. Sin separates. God brings us together. We run from God. He pursues us and pulls us back. We come like, become like hermits and want to become isolated. And God says, no, you are part of a family. You are brought into relationship, into fellowship, into community with me and with a big, beautiful body of believers. This is our destiny. This is a verse, the final verse we read in Revelation 21. He, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. This is our God. So what do we know about fellowship? What do we know about this word? Well, the, the fellowship is as a word. 20 times, 18 different verses, 20 times in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, basically, is this word, koinonia. And, and it just means it's a share that we have in something. It, it's to be brought in. It, it's, it's, a, it's a cooperation. It's a partnership. It, it, it's a participation. But I like the idea, it is a share that we have in something. We belong we belong together. I could almost sing the song, but I won't. Uh, if you know it, you're a certain age, sorry. Or you like good old classics. We'll go with the sat ladder. We have a share in the results of his death. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us this. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing? The results of his death, we share in that. We share in that with countless millions of believers over the face of the globe. Those that love Christ and in their own way. Every culture will be different. Every local church may actually be different. As they celebrate, as they remember, as they eat together the Lord's Supper and they enjoy community and fellowship and relationship and harmony. We have a sharing in that as we also partake in these emblems. We can share with other saints these were believers in Macedonia, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8, and they, they were begging for the opportunity, for the privilege to share, to have a share in this ongoing work, to share in this ministry for the saints. Paul had left so many of them destitute in Jerusalem, and they want to share and give and be a blessing. We have a sharing in the suffering of the gospel. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the way we cooperate. We have a share in. We, we unite. We link with our God. We link with other believers. This is the whole idea of fellowship. And yet we come to this point. We'll get a little bit further, and we're going to pick it up the rest of it tomorrow. But how is our fellowship and our sharing? How is community actually displayed? This is where we've got to get into some more tangibles. Because there's no argument that this is not a, a key theme. 
It's not just, sometimes we use this word doctrine, we throw it out, doctrine, doctrine. Well, I'm not discounting the word, but the, sometimes it'd be nice if we just call it teaching. The word is just for teaching. There's a body, there, there is, the te- doctrine is, is, is that what is taught and the teaching of it. But everything the believers were taught, all of the apostles' teaching, is, it falls under the scope of that. And, and the bulk of that teaching is not somehow separated from, you know, warm and fuzzy relationship things. It actually is to support, if you want to call it the warm and fuzzy relationship things. Because this is what it's about. This is what the gospel does. And so the bulk of the teaching is about how we live together. That's what it really is about. The character development, that was the other thing I wanted to get into. How we are being made, 2 Corinthians 3, from one glory to another. As we look at Christ and we observe Christ, how he then changes us in the context of community. And it's not going to get talked about this weekend. But community or sharing on these three levels. First of all, the body of Christ. The local church. And on a personal level, perhaps in friendships or small groups of people with which you know, you spend time with. Some of you spend time with a lot of them. I, I, I feel like naming some people here right now, but you know, there's one great group of four gals here, and I just got thinking as I was sitting there, it's kind of west and east, north and south, and they're all together. I think that's so cool. It's great when you have friendships, you have relationships, and you're brought together in community. Little ones, the local church where you have come and you say, I am throwing everything in here. I am committed. I am part of this. I want to belong. And you join Based on your initiative, you join. But then the body of Christ, where God brought you into it, and he established a unity, and he tells you to keep it. And we're fuzzy on what that looks like. We're not really sure sometimes. And that might be an area where we all need to go away and spend some time thinking. I'm going to take maybe two or three minutes, and then we'll cut it and come back and revisit it tomorrow. But I want you to think about fellowship on the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. What's that about? Is that about the local church? Yeah, but primarily it's about the body of Christ. Primarily it's about the body of Christ. You can't read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, verse 13, and then proceed through the rest of it and pretend, well, no, this doesn't actually apply to the body of Christ. This really just applies to my local assembly. So here's what Paul writes as he begins this tremendous truth, just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the bodies, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. One of the greatest truths we have is verse 13. This is the baptism, not of the Spirit, but in the Spirit. Jesus Christ taking every believer and immersing them in the Spirit, thereby forming the body on the day of Pentecost. We have the support for that, and the tenses of the verbs will tell you that it was a one-time experience. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then he goes on and talks about the foot speaking, and the foot feeling down, because he's not a hand. A lesser part of the body, the eye can't really say to another member, hmm, you're not what I am. Brethren, this is not just looking across a circle on a Sunday morning and saying, don't do that to your other brethren. This is saying, looking across town, don't do to your other brethren. 
You are accountable, autonomous, where you are, to Christ, to his word, to truth. But God has placed us into one body. He designed it for us. He given us he's given us a duty to own it, and he says our destiny is we will be together. Now we're going to get more into to what some of this um, a reminder to phone John. Okay, I'll do that tomorrow. There you go. Uh, I, this is a big part of this, okay? Maybe just before I, I, I sit down, because it's a current issue, do, do, you know, do you know these guys up here, Ravi Zacharias? I'm so thankful to God for Ravi. And I watched on uh, Thursday, I took the time Thursday morning to watch the funeral of Nabil Qureshi. Do you know who he is? Do you guys know who Nabil is? I mean, the closest thing that I know of to an Apostle Paul. A Pakistani man who dies at the age of 34, who is of a strict sect of Islam, who is studying to become an Islamic apologist, the defense of the Islamic faith, who is immersed, who can tear apart anybody, a, tr a lion. He's just like a Paul, full of vim and vigor to defend what he believes to be truth. And on college campus, your greatest mission field. He runs into another believer who begins to sit and talk with him and begins to challenge him as to his worldview, a worldview which consists of origin, meaning, of, of morality and of destiny. Of origin, where do I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, how do I live? Destiny, where do I go? And as he began to converse and to talk, Nabil comes to understand that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Christ. And he is converted to the faith. And he is wonderfully and marvelously saved. And becomes a lion to defend the truth of who Jesus Christ is in the gospel. He joined Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And he wanted them, Ravi wanted to go back to study at Oxford so he could be able to, to have all the tools at his disposal to defend the Christian faith. And three or four weeks ago, he announced that he had late-stage terminal stomach cancer. And at the age of 34, a man that has done more in his few years than I will ever accomplish in my life, a man that is a gift given to the church, my brother, your brother, who is now gazing at the face of Christ, is taken home early. Why does God take people home early? I can never understand why people like this get taken home early. But what I do know is this. We are brethren. We are one body. Now there will be, and I, I put up here three terms, cooperation, interaction, and isolation. Cooperation on a deeper level may require a greater agreement on truth and practice in some areas. But there should be a room for interaction. There's a difference between cooperation and joining and working side by side, perhaps in everything, and interaction. But I am fearful that by our terminology of the way, we have taken the word fellowship, even in the term assembly fellowship, which probably should be rightly termed assembly membership. I think we have the meaning right. I think the label might bear updating. By using it in that sense, we talk about people. Somebody comes in, a brother in the Lord, a believer. Is they, they're in, no, they're not in fellowship. What do you mean not in fellowship? 
God brought us into fellowship. You mean they have not made a commitment to join this local body and be a part of it and to commit to it. They're not a member. We should be able to have interaction, not isolation. God is a big God doing big, great things in this world. And fellowship is something into which we are brought. I have to leave it there. It's 12.05 and your dinner's going to get cold if I don't stop. You might even get upset. Maybe you already are, but what I just said. Brethren, here's the point. Community was created by God. God has designed it in us. He's given us a duty to uphold it. And he's told us it will be our ultimate destiny. Let's at least start thinking about ways in which we maybe, just maybe, have fallen short of the standard that God would like to have for us as we look across, initially at this stage of my message, the broad scheme of the body of Christ.